Welcome back to the Ultra Working Podcast. Chris Natterer and I were on recently talking about planning. We had such a fun time. We're running it back with another Chris and Sebastian show. Chris, I'm excited. Let's get going. All right, Chris. Chris gets less excited than me. You see, um, I, I, I don't want to attribute everything to cultural differences, but he's from the old world Europe. I'm from America. You know, we, I don't know, we get excited. So maybe my excitement level are even slightly higher. But uh, I think his levels of excitement are high too. Today we're going to be, um, there's going to be a bit of a, um, a flow of this show, right? Where we're going to talk about science early and then we're going to start wildly speculating and hypothesizing potentially irresponsibly. Hopefully. Hopefully responsibly, Chris. Responsibly? We'll, we'll do our best. All right. I, I will try to be responsible. So, Chris, uh, we, we, we exchange a lot of research papers um, on the team at Ultraworking. Chris sent me one recently. High stakes trigger the use of multiple memories to enhance the control of attention. This is like Ultraworking stuff. We like this stuff, right? So we'll put a link uh, to the abstract of the paper and the DOI number um, and such in the show notes. Um, so you can go look this up on your own. First, let's kind of overview what the paper said, and then let's start uh, wildly, borderline, irresponsibly speculating. Not really. We'll actually just clearly mark, hey, maybe this is logical, maybe that's logical, um, and we'll mark it down. Chris and I are both, I think, quite scientifically literate people. We've, we're certainly in the 99th percentile of consumers of scientific information and associates with scientists, but we're not trained neuroscientists or professional experimenters. Neither of us have a a doctorate in, in any related field. So just bear that in mind. We're some guys that read a research paper. When we're quoting from the research paper, we're on very firm ground. When we're hypothesizing, we're generating ideas that might be useful, which is, is cool. It's useful, but that's what we're doing. So you can take the part where we're quoting the scientists is probably very true. The part where we're hypothesizing as throwing ideas around that might be useful and valuable. So with that said, yeah, Chris, this, this paper is a, a, a gem. It's really just so well constructed. The graphs, the brain scans of which different regions of the brain are lighting up and the tasks. And this is a fun, fun read mm -hmm. and a fun paper. What's the, what's the core idea behind it? Yeah, so um, the main question is, um, you know, everybody knows, uh, you've experienced it. When there is something in your environment that you're that is really important to you, you can sort of selectively focus in on that and tune out other unimportant items. Um, we know we can do this. We don't know exactly how the brain does it. This paper proposes a hypothesis of a mechanism, how this could work, and then tries to find empirical evidence of if this is actually true. Um, it has to do with the counterplay between uh, working memory, visual working memory, and visual long-term memory. Um, the, they you know, created some new techniques to, to measure this in, in the brain, and then they run a bunch of, uh, of, um, of participants through a study where they have to basically look at a visual pattern and recognize certain, certain objects um, and, and, and they get a reward for it in some cases and don't get a reward for it in other cases. This is the main setup of the study. All right, so let me be the idiot layman over here that, that tries to bring this down to plain English. So like we're going through an environment, right? And, and you know, there's that scene in the Matrix, like are we looking at the woman in the red dress? That's like attention grabbing and they're like, okay, we know that happens, but like why and how? Parents obviously pay attention to their infants more than random stuff in the environment. And they were trying to actually, so we know that that's, that's a common sense. Everybody sees that, but like what's going on in the brain? How's that happen? That's yeah, roughly? That's, yeah, that's pretty 
exactly what it's And for. so they said, okay, we want you to do some stuff about paying attention to stuff and not other stuff, and we'll pay you if you get it right. Yeah. So it's kind of like playing Where's Waldo for money. Right. So what, what happens in the brain... It's not actually Where's Waldo, but like kind <laughs> of. Um, is that you basically have two different types of, of visual memory. You have your working memory for things that are very, very new. And then you have the long-term memory for things that you have seen before. And as you see something that you have, as you like look for things, and you see them and you recognize them, eventually the, the, the image of that thing that you're looking for will move from the working memory into the long-term memory and then just get stored there and, and your brain will rely on this slightly slower memory block um, you know, you could think of it as the RAM on your computer or the hard drive right. to retrieve the image and recognize it. So again, to clarify, right, if you see like a weird piece of modern art or an optical illusion or you're in a brand new environment or you have a new kitchen appliance that works different, you're probably using your, your working memory, if I understand this correctly, to manipulate, navigate and study the object. And then if it's like the living room from the house you've been in for two years, you think about what your parents look like or something, that's going to long-term memory. You're not intently studying your table. You're just, you know, you know your table's there. You're, you're quite comfortable that it's there. And, and so the brain kind of is not intently working memory RAM studying it. It's just be like, yep, expect the table to be there. The table's there. If you walked in your living room and it was trashed and everything was flipped right. over and somebody had like robbed your house, then that would be back in working memory all of a sudden potentially. But when things accord with normal and something you've looked at a lot, that's coming out of long-term. Is that, do I have this correct-ish? I think that sounds correct-ish. <laughs> Ish. The way I, I understood Ladies and gentlemen, that's correct-ish. So uh, caveat emptor, buyer beware on our scientific investigation. All right, so what what they find as they did this, how they set it up, they're, they're doing some visual tasks and they're, they're measuring. I, I understand that they're actually doing brain scan, MRI, yeah. what's lighting up in the yeah. regions type stuff, like the real the real stuff. Yeah, they had some cool stuff on how they measure this. That, that is a new technique that they come up with that is good for all future research. So one thing that they uh, tested for, which was really interesting, is what happens. So you, you, you look for a pattern, you recognize the pattern, you're on like experiment number seven, and your brain is now moving this image from your working memory into your long-term memory. What happens when at, at experiment number eight, I tell you, hey, you find it this time, in this time, if, you, if you're like really fast at finding it, I'll give you a $10 reward. Um, what they found out is if I introduce a reward for this object, and this object now becomes really valuable, the brain actually now creates another copy of this thing in working memory again and uses both working memory and long-term memory to look for it. Is that... Yeah, so again, there's something like where's Waldo and you're looking for Waldo and in the beginning you're like really your brain's working memory. It's not where's Waldo. We're, where's Waldo's, by the way, on the off chance there's a non-listener of the show. This was iconic in the United States and a lot of the, the I believe Europe as well. Chris immediately got the reference. There's these like picture books for children where there's this one guy in like a red and white striped shirt with like a funny hat. And you'd have to find him out of a, a scene of just a bunch of interesting stuff happening with hundreds of participants in a picture book. It was like for children. And so it's kind of like these kind of tasks where, you know, you're going to set a bunch of objects on a table and you got to pick up the right object or you got to find Waldo out of a thing. In the beginning, you're like really intently using your RAM, your working memory, 
to like keep the object firmly in there and then you're, you're scanning and, and, and trying to identify the object and you're doing it really intensely. After you've done this for a while, Waldo goes to long-term memory and you're not really holding, you're holding the picture of Waldo somewhere else in your brain, mm -hmm. is that kind of yeah, correct? that's yeah? correct. Okay, and then, so over time you put it in the long-term. Long-term's a bit, lazier is the wrong word, but more efficient, more efficient, let's say, maybe. And you stop using your working memory. So you're not intently holding the picture of Waldo, you're kind of just flipping through the book casually. But you're like, hey, here's some cash that you want above some level. Then people will use their working memory again and their long-term memory. So your brain will have multiple regions working on the problem. Is that right. correct? That is correct. So the way I see it is like your brain is really making sure it's like, hey, this is very important. It turns all systems back on to make sure that the response time is the fastest, that it doesn't, doesn't pass by unnoticed and um, yeah what I took what I took away from this is I mean I really wish that you know that we could just keep this thing turned on it sounds like the combination there is is really powerful but it requires this extra uh, reward stimulus to remain turned on um, and, and if there the reward is is not there it eventually gets turned off and yeah I mean, I, I, some of the things that uh, we can certainly reminiscent if we had the level of modular control where we could just uh, just tune our, our circuitry for, for maximum performance. Because it seems that it's like set up for maximum efficiency um, in this case. Yeah, they use the word efficiency in the paper in terms, so there's like two different ways to define efficiency here. One is like the efficiency of the task and the other one would be yeah, so efficiency is a tricky word here because there's efficiency of completing the task, completing as fast and accurately as possible is efficient, but then there's also your body's and brain's efficiency. Your body, uh, to say this very unscientifically, your body's a bit of a, a lazy bastard, <laughs> and so is your brain, where you just don't want to use calories and expend energy and, and, and concentrate, right? Like that's, right. you know? Yeah. That's like, like your brain, your brain wants to take the elevator, not the stairs, because it doesn't want to walk up the stairs, metaphorically speaking. That's a generally, that's not super in the paper. It's, uh, I, I didn't do a close study of it, but I, yeah. from my looking at it, it's kind of implicit right. there, right? Yeah. I don't, maybe they called it out specifically and I missed that paragraph when I was going over it quickly. But, so your brain is kind of a lazy, lazy guy, lazy girl brain, and yeah, long-term memory, like good enough. But when there's like some stakes, high stakes, when there's something to gain, it's like, let's use both systems. It's less computationally efficient. You use more calories. It's a little more strenuous, but not much more strenuous. You're just freaking thinking. It's not that right. bad, yeah. right? But that you'll, you'll have both systems working on the problem if there's stakes there. Yeah, I, I really um, try to picture a situation like that. For example, a test or you have a deadline in like two mm. hours and, uh, and, and modulate like the ability that you have in that moment to zone or like to dial in and keep out all distractions. Oh, because if your working memory is not allocated to the task, you've got this, maybe what the Buddhists call the monkey mind, <laughs> you're leaving it free to do different stuff. Yeah, you mean, 
I don't know what exactly happens, but there is clearly a qualitative change that, that occurs when the stakes become high enough. All of a sudden, things that are hard, like concentrating, become easy. Things that are hard, like ignoring other things, also become easy. And uh, so it's definitely, we know it's possible to do this and to be in this state. Um, unfortunately, we're not there all the time. And uh, at this paper, maybe shows a little bit like exactly what's going on. We are, it's our job now to figure out how we can use this and then turn this into some practical. Ladies and gentlemen, that's code for we're gonna start even more irresponsibly speculating and hypothesizing. So, all right, once again, the title of the paper by Ryan Hart and Woodman is High Stakes Trigger the Use of Multiple Memories to Enhance the Control of Attention. So again, there's three elements there, high stakes, Multiple memories, they mean different brain regions and brain systems, and there's like really cool, I feel like this paper's worth looking at because it's just so cool. <laughs> there's like which parts of the brain are lit up under different conditions, yep. it's really cool. And then you have enhanced control of attention. That sounds good, that's like ultra working, that's like what we want, enhanced control of attention, sign me up, that's like what we want. So, all right, when your term paper is due in three weeks as an undergraduate, you might be very lazily reading your textbook. You're not honed in trying to do it and you're more distractible. When that paper is due in three hours, and it's like, I gotta finish this, this sucker and like, ah, man, I really shouldn't have left this to the last minute. You are zoned in, you are identifying all the words and concepts that are relevant. Yep. And, but by nature, the brain will be lazy, lazy guy brain, lazy girl brain. It won't, it won't, it won't do this, but there might be some ways to do this. How, how let's speculate irresponsibly <laughs> hypothesize <laughs> hypothesize ladies and gentlemen we're hypothesizing right. um so yeah i mean i i i my my thoughts went to what could i be doing to sort of trick my brain to be switching on mm. these other brain regions like how can i create high stakes situations uh more often at a low cost for example interesting very um, interesting what 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 would there is probably a threshold over which I have to get to in terms of stakes where all of a sudden working memory is back when attention is, is there. And yeah, I don't think it has to necessarily be monetarily. It could be, could be uh, many other stimuli, stimuli and, um, and, and, and inputs. And yeah, um, I haven't really thought about this. There's no concrete answer yet, but something along those lines sounds very plausible. Yeah, you know, I was, I was having a conversation with Xavier Denikowski, um, who's on our team, um, about he's doing, he did an entire redo of his sleep regime. He did everything, you know, around uh, the sleep habits. He divided his schedule into a biphasic thing where he has a slightly shorter than normal night with a longer nap kind of siesta set up and then he got the black curtains and the you know biochemistry stuff and the caffeine regulation he did all that stuff and he said it's interesting if he tried to make just one of those changes he might not have stuck with it he might have forgotten mm. Mm. right and and you know when he looks at whatever the eye mask he's supposed to use with blackout curtains he might have just forgotten to do it he said by doing them all at the same time and making it a big intense challenge you know, there was both the fact that it's a big challenge means you're not going to forget to do any part of the regime. You know what I mean? Right. Like doing just one of the sleep habits might have been hard for him, but doing like 12 at the same time was uh, easier paradoxically to, to not miss any of the yep. elements. Yep. But there was also a component maybe of like he put his identity on the line a little bit mm. that like I'm doing this thing 
And if I blow it, I'm like a screw up. I like made a commitment. I made a big thing out of this. I told people I'm doing this. I was really excited. They know I'm doing this. Like how'd the thing go? Oh, well, I kind of blew it off three days later. Like the stakes are much higher when there's interpersonal stakes. People are going to judge you. There's mm. personal pride stakes, maybe identity stakes. And, you know, by, by running this, this protocol where he's going to go on a, a little bit of a biphasic sleep schedule with two sleeps, if you screw that up, that can be actually more powerful. I've done that too. It can be very powerful. If you screw that up, it's a nightmare though. You wind up like a zombie. So like you better regulate your caffeine and your B vitamins and all that sort of jazz. So like, interestingly, sometimes a more difficult target mm. nominally right. more difficult that you're very committed to and even publicly committed to that, that seems like that would raise the stakes and might be, you might get more resources back from your own brain, like dialing in relative to the mm, seems very very yeah in, interesting and, and uh yeah many things that come to mind why that might be occurring and other effects but yeah this is yeah the the un, uh, for me like one thing is really like i wish we had this this modular control to turn this back on and off whenever we want it um, you know i feel like after a million years of evolution we should have this ability but um yeah, it's uh, it's it's really interesting to learn about how our our hardware functions exactly. Well, so and how how would we go about turning it on then? I, I mean, rewards. I speculated on one, which yeah. is a bigger, more challenging project with consequences that you're committed to. That's what Xavier yeah. did. There's other things going yeah. on there, right? But that does it. What else does it? I could imagine that really. Um, I think you know what we do in work cycles when we have the why is this important and valuable. Mm. We actually load the reward into huh. memory for a amount of time because sometimes we work on something and if it's like the reward might be might be you know in the future in the far future or it might not be super salient, not super. We don't really feel why this is important valuable by focusing on that for even just a short amount of time um, who knows very very likely this is speculation but I, I could imagine that this actually moves us over that threshold for the duration of that session and and then helps us to regulate our attention okay so this this brings an interesting thing to mind we could speak about increasing the um like acutely focusing, right? Just turning on both these brain systems and techniques to do them, right? Because like, let's say you had some task that, that nominally should take an hour, but you've been kind of blowing it off for a while. If you call up a good friend of yours and you're like, hey, let's make a gamble. I've been blowing this off for three weeks. I'm going to give you $500 if I don't get it done in three hours. And you're going to give me $5 if we do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Which is like probably a winning gamble for mm -hmm. the 500 person. Mm -hmm. You might get stung for $5, mm -hmm. but you're going to win more than 1% of the time. And yeah. you're doing your buddy a favor, yep. you know, by saying yes, right? Um, that would do it. You'd be flipped on and hyper-focused at that point, right? Pretty so. Even if the task you're blowing off is a $10,000 in six months sort of thing, that just doesn't, people don't seem to get up for that. That doesn't do anything. <laughs> like the right. brain sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, there is, um, I mean, that's, um, I, I'm not sure about the influence of, there's high stakes, oh, I guess rewards, high stakes and high rewards is also interesting. They're using both terms here. Uh, losing a lot of money can be high stakes. Rewards is more like sure. you're gaining some money. Um, 
I can see that the well, there's a winning the bet yeah. too as a reward yeah. and the pride. No, and I, the I think the I, I think you know truly speculative, but I, I would assume that hey, if you don't get it right, you're losing five hundred dollars. Will turn off the turn on the working memory. Yeah, as and if well. you do, you get to be proud and yeah. swagger, and you yeah. get five bucks, which is yeah. more of like a it's more of like yeah. a trophy than a little right. just a bill that you put in your wallet or your Venmo or whatever. So okay, so there's acute ways to flip it on like that, a tight deadline, everybody's jamming together. Hey, let's try to get this done by the end of the day, whatever. But maybe there's also we could we could the word chronic is often seen as like a negative word, right? You mm. chronic condition, but you can almost think about uh, enduring. So there's acute, short term, right? And there's like yep. chronic, like how do we have these systems turned on more in general by shaping yep. our environment and whatever else? Um, I, I believe from the paper there was something about when there was condition stimuli, there was like a legacy time, and we talked about this yep. a little bit. Yeah, it has been prior research where basically if I um, reward a certain stimuli once, even if I take the reward away for, 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 for the next um, experiments, your brain will still be primed towards that, that thing that you got rewarded. Yeah, you got a hundred bucks for finding Waldo. You're looking for yeah, Waldo all you're over going the place. To keep looking no, no, for no. Waldo. Even there's no cash. It's like, where's, where's Waldo? Where's, where's that guy? Where's he hiding? Exactly. So that's that's really interesting, and I mean that's that's Pavlov's dog. That's classical conditioning associating the yeah. the food and the bell, and that's that's also Skinner's operant conditioning, mm -hmm. right? So it's just conditioning. But there there seems to be a when an activity was high rewarded once, then it's more salient for a while. So I could imagine, for instance, if somebody does something like Run Keeper or, or Strava, like one of these run tracking yep. things, if you were gonna get like a hundred bucks if you did your running plan for two weeks and updated it in RunKeeper or Strava, you might be like building a like this is a serious thing thing around yeah. it. Yeah. Now there's a flip side because I've also right. seen studies that say when you reward something and then take the reward away, then it can reduce intrinsic mm. motivation. So I guess these fight each other, but at least in terms of brain systems turning on, high rewarding Waldo makes you notice Waldo more in the future. Yes. From from that what I've read in the paper, yes. Um, he might go away eventually, maybe after a couple of years of not being rewarded for Waldo. But right. there is a there is definitely a, a an effect that remains for for quite some time. So building so so if that's true, right? Then building up a a reward base for a while, like a material high stakes reward. And reward doesn't have to be monetary here. Reward could be the the pride of it or reputational or whatever. There's a lot of reward yep. stuff. Uh, doing that for a while might get you going such that you're activating and using more of your brain regions. They're, they're switched on even for a while, even when the reward's taken away. Correct. So that's a way that we can maybe bootstrap long-term, what is it? Enhanced control of intention, which sounds awesome, by the way. Like, I want, I want enhanced control of intention. <laughs> like, that's great. Give me more of that, right? So a, a window of reward and, and this would be like, you know, when people do 30-day habit challenges or something, and then and then they're like, okay, whatever, I'll do it or not going forwards. Mm. You know, if there's a, a, a bunch of reward built into the first month of it, mm. yeah, right, including a little rewards of checking it off, little interface stuff. Yeah. We try to design our interfaces to make them slightly rewarding, where like you check something is done, the color goes green and stuff. I, like, it like helps more than it should. It does on myself too. With like, when, when I use a light spreadsheet, ultraworking.com slash lights, just like making it go green is like, ah, like it's right. as dumb yeah. as that sounds. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. so dumb, but it's, it, it works for what it, it still works with me, right? So, you know, we have the agreements tracker, right? You click fulfilled and you're like, ah, 
And we recently created a new chat channel, the Agreements Tracker thread, where you announce mm. that you got done on the thing. And yeah. that's like, ah, I get it twice now. I get to check it off in Notion and I get to put it in our chat. Um, so by having those rewards attached to it, even if the explicit aspects of the rewards, of the checking it off if you're tracking it, right, and then completing the entire challenge, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna journal every single day for 30 days, I'm gonna meditate every single day for 30 days, I'm gonna go to the gym every Monday, Wednesday, Friday for the next four weeks, whatever. Building up that reward base maybe makes that activity more salient and, and activates more brain regions for a while, yeah. at least even in the absence of reward. Yeah, yeah, we talked yesterday about planning and and how about how about not uh, you know not screwing it off and, and and actually doing it and i i thought back to that for like maybe i you know you should just reward yourself for that activity for a certain amount of time and maybe it's 30 days just to like really raise the stakes and then i don't know maybe it will be you'll always you'll always connect this activity with it's a high reward, high stakes activity. That's very interesting because you said yesterday, hey, two-ish weeks might be a good starting point. And I said, go a month because then the likelihood that you have a day that would have gotten blown up, like it can happen on any given day. But when you do a simple planning that you don't need to do and it stops your day from blowing up, it is the most rewarding. I, like I think I, I forget how I phrased it when we, when we chatted last, but it was something along the lines of you're going to feel really clever and awesome or mm. some, something like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that when you think I got a boring day, I don't need to sequence anything. I don't need to prep nothing, but let me do it. And then you're like, whoa, that was going to go off the rails in the afternoon and I prevented it. And then you have a good day. It is like the best feeling. And like getting that once, getting that right. high reward once is like this planning thing. Sign me up. Um, yeah. The, uh, there are certain things I can, I can recall certain things that for whatever, in some, in some situation, they were connected with something important in that situation. And you will forever, that, that residual connection to the, the, the saliency, the importance of the situation just remains. It might be, uh, I don't know, it might be the, the way that you, uh, you know, I did martial arts and, um, and very early that you had like the ceremonial greeting at the beginning. And so now, ceremonial greetings will forever have like a special place for me because they were like we took them really seriously for a while that is not like the the, the situation where they were so serious is not there but i still have like a like i connect these type of situations with that uh, experience yeah i've long believed that in intensive fields um again like a very serious martial art where you know you're gonna go spar and have combat at the end of any lessons or instructions but the ceremonial greetings i'm nearly certain i don't have any evidence of this but i'm completely certain of it anyway i'll look into it at some point must be doing something to your brain state of like you put together that that bow or that acknowledgement or whatever and you're just voomp, you're like combat's about to start and it's 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 getting you ready and it's probably increasing your psychological readiness and priming um let's speculate even more recklessly and irresponsibly for a couple more minutes before we get out of here now Chris and I are not physicians, we're not doctors, we're not mental health experts, we don't have any credentials uh, to speak of except for a general scientific literacy association with scientists. And then from time to time, we design some stuff that works really, really good, measurably, really, really good for people over here at Ultraworking. Um, 
you, you noticed some implications. I, I forget whether it was cited or whether you drew a yeah. connection in the paper yeah. between different um, conditions, right. different, different mental conditions and the inability to turn on the working memory. So maybe exploring it the other way. We're not going to give nobody no medical advice, certainly not. Yeah. But maybe we can illustrate, especially for the healthy people, and maybe a jumping off and a research point for anybody that suffers from a condition or somebody else, right? We just want to point at the research. We're not being prescriptive here. We're not. We, we know our limitations here and we're exploring. But there's some, this ability to turn on the working memory thing seems to be compromised in some people. Yeah. I think you were, I forget exactly how you put this. How'd you put yeah, this? Basically, they, 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 um, there's um, many different clinical uh, disorders like schizophrenia, HDHD. They, they have similar, they have a cluster of issues that all sort of revolve around um, impairments related to things like working memory deficits or, or uh, abnormal reward um, hmm. processing and, and dysfunctions in the reward circuits, the dopamine system. And so how I read this is that basically you're, um, when, you, when you don't have this, this setup where more important things will trigger working memory additionally to long-term, then you really can't determine between what is important, what is not important, what should I be focusing on, what shouldn't I be focusing on right now. Basically, everything becomes equally important or wow. equally unimportant, if you want to call that. And, and that, that, that might be a, a, one of the explanations or one of the effects, at least, that has some influence on, on disorders like HDHD. So there, there's a joking internet expression that's not a real medical thing called shiny object syndrome. It's <laughs> not actually a real yeah. scientific or medical thing. It's just like you see something that's really shiny. You see crazy TikTok, tweet, whatever. It's, it's yep. shiny. It's a yep. shiny object. And you want to go play with the shiny object instead of work on your business, work on your PhD right. thesis, work on whatever you ought to be working on. And from my understanding of the literature and, and our conversation around it, the like your brain determining this is important. Therefore, mm. give me more attentional yeah. resources. Let's yeah. flip on the cognitive processing power. Doesn't always happen for the right stuff and sometimes happens for the wrong stuff. Is that correct-ish? Um, I think that uh, we probably don't even need to necessarily look at the paper to know well, just sure. from experimental that, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, we we often concentrate and, and focus on stuff that is, is if we, like, logically break it down, not as important as other things. And especially shiny object syndrome will often, it will get you away from the thing that you were actually trying to do that you know that works towards some other usually very speculative. <laughs> You're being very kind here. This is speculative. You know, I think being really aggravated about the politics of Tanzania would be a very good use of the next two hours. Yeah, um, it's very speculative. It's a very speculative endeavor as opposed to working on your, your business or your PhD thesis or, or your, your creative work or whatever you might be doing. Okay, so it's interesting sometimes looking at the where things can be going wrong and having that. So for people, if you got some stuff going wrong, like look, talk to your physician, talk to your psychiatrist, like whatever, whatever. we're like a couple, couple people on podcasts, like we're, we're speculating, right? But I think applying those models and looking at those from healthy people is it's sometimes health is just the inverse. One way to look at it is sometimes health is the inverse of the, the, the problem or the bad mm -hmm. state, right? Yeah. So, so we could say that, you know, a lot of these, these, these mental conditions where people have a hard time regulating their own attention yeah. and paying attention correctly yeah. are because they're not turning on the high stakes working memory 
correctly. They're not identifying objects that should be turned on or they are maybe logically noticing, but it doesn't, you know, flip the brain on. It's not like, hey, I'm not just playing Where's Waldo now. I'm playing Where's Waldo for a hundred bucks if I can find him in two minutes. Like, let me, let me go all in for the next two minutes. Let me not be daydreaming about nothing else. And the flip side, maybe the brain turns on this process, which must be, it's kind of like wasteful. Like, like, and, and you know, Hallowell and Rady had a, a bunch of good stuff on ADHD, um, driven by, driven to distraction and delivered from distraction. Um, they were really early pioneers in it. You know, they talk about, um, you know, they talk about uh, uh, the, um, the ADHD, the, the flip side of it that a lot of people don't realize is ADHD hyper-focus, where like ADHD people aren't just, there's varying configurations of mm -hmm. it, but it's not just you're all over the place. It's also the ability to hyper-focus. Now, if you get your hyper-focus onto your, your field, you're hyper-productive right. for a while. And that's presumably when, among other things, working memory and long-term memory are both on the same line. You get the vector. It's all going the same way, right? Um, and the flip side is sometimes that doesn't happen. You can't turn that on even when it would be really relevant, even when there's a deadline in 48 hours and you're well past the I should panic and <laughs> hyper-focus threshold, sometimes you don't. Yeah. Does, that, does that seem correct? Um, yeah, it seems... Yeah, the... the uh, I mean, hey, that's perfect. Like, and, and, and if you could... That's, that sounds like channeled HDHD, if you could really like use the, the ability to, to dial in on the right things. You you you're off to you're off to the races, but um, yeah, I think the the inability to modulate that correctly, and I think also, uh, you know, like we we should really, I think there are a lot of you know research has come out over the last couple of years how the constant interruptions that we're getting, um, that we are our attention is actually drawn to so many different places and we're getting. We're getting, you know, shiny object syndrome, literally like hundreds of times a day in small doses. That's awful. Or if I, if I want to call it that way, we're getting something that triggers a little bit of dopamine, makes us really react, and um, and and turns on these these systems. Getting away from that and like sort of, yeah, allowing the modulation and allowing the brain to recognize what is actually important more often, and and and. and yeah, modulate that better. I think that's uh, it's going to become only more important over the next next years, and as technology becomes even more um, everywhere. All right, let's let's take away let's take away for people a little bit. So, so the first one, high stakes trigger the use of multiple memories to enhance the control of attention by Robert Reinhardt and Jeffrey Woodman. We'll link it up in the description of the show. Um, and we'll put the DOI in there as well, so you can you can reference it that way if you've got those accesses. Um, we got a core mental model here first and foremost. Before we do the engineering, we want to understand the physics, right? There's different brain regions that activate controlling, um, directing different systems. Yep. When something's brand new, you're using working memory, primarily, often, whatever, over time, You'll use long-term memory more, which is less computationally intense, let's say. I don't believe they put it that way in the paper, but something like that. And the brain's a, we've got lazy, lazy guy, lazy girl brains where we'll use the less computationally intense version of things. Yeah. Well, once a big enough reward comes on the table, they were using money 
right, then you'll actually use both systems. Even if you have the familiarity to do the less computationally intense version, you'll also do the more computationally intense version. You got more firepower. Right. Right? And we can potentially harness this in the short term by creating reward and stakes. Doing so also has long-term things about making that activity more salient. And in the long term, this is like an open topic of engineering, right? There's the research, these folks did it, there's the development, the R&D. Yeah. How would we develop technologies to be having that enhanced control of attention and working memory on? Is it, we don't know, <laughs> we're speculating. I think responsibly, I think we were pretty responsible today. But that's something to look at over time. And maybe the Buddhist kind of mental technologies mm. have something about that. Maybe some high-performance sports coaches have something about that. We've touched on a bunch of these things. But this can be something that anyone listening to this can be kind of on the lookout for, you know, over the next months and years of if you can on demand flip on that more active enhanced control of attention, right, um, by having more brain regions on the problem and not having them on, not on the problem. Yeah. Um, would be good. Are those a fair set of, of, of takeaways that people could think about and potentially yeah, utilize? I think you summarized it really, really well. And yeah, I don't, I don't think even I have anything to add to that. I mean, this, I found this just super interesting. I'm going to be reading up some on some, some follow-ups to this paper. This was done in 2014. Maybe there has been some, you know, some follow-up to this research. And uh, yeah, uh, especially as we look at practical applications, it's going to become quite interesting. Yeah, rock and roll. Again, we'll put that in the description. So right away in your podcast player, you could just pull up the link. Hopefully, don't let us shiny object syndrome you if you're uh, supposed to be driving your car or doing your gym workout. Don't look at this right now. But it's even worth looking at a little bit for the cool factor of looking at their graphs and the MRI scans. And so it's, it's, it's a cool paper, you know, insofar as I think science is almost always cool. But even on a scale of cool coolness, I feel like this was a really cool paper. So maybe people should check it out and get informed on their own. Um, it's just cool to look at. Even if you don't get all of it, you get a little smarter and it's cool. It's legit. I think, or maybe I'm just a freaking nerd, but I think it's cool. Um, Chris, thank you. This is a lot of fun. We're tearing apart research papers and speculating, maybe even responsibly hypothesizing. Um, this is a fun time, man. Thanks yeah, for man. doing this. Thank you. It was great. Um, hope everybody enjoys it. All right. Thanks for listening. Hope your control of attention, the short term and the long term is very, very well. Always appreciate you on the Ultra Working Podcast. Thank you. Be well.